We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Hamstring injuries. Kroon was really developed into their most reliable option. Here is McKenzie, and he will stroll into the end zone for the Buffalo touchdown. Allen on first and ten, under heavy pressure, throws, has his man, it's Foster, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. So here's Allen, first and ten, he's going to tuck it away, right, breaks a tackle, and the rookie into the end zone for the touchdown. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was our boy, Steve-O-D from CBS Sports. God, it feels good to be back behind the microphone. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Did you enjoy the holiday? Did you? Chris, what did you do with your Thanksgiving? Uh, I went over to my cousin's and celebrated uh, Thanksgiving with my cousin, his wife, his two kids, and uh, some other people, and it was fun. They had two turkeys. It was amazing. Oh, both two turkeys, uh, both uh, in with the the fryer, like the out, oh. outside, and they and uh, they did two different brines. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a fat man. Used to be. <laughs> you still are. You have. You literally have tits. <laughs> I, folks, hopefully you all got to spend your holiday the way I did. Friends and family, people you care about, eating too much, drinking too much, and taking in a lot of football. I mean, that's that. what better way is there to spend it? Folks, Chris is an Uber driver, and he has a story that he would like to tell. Oh, yeah, dude, I'm going to need your, uh, your feedback. And uh, this happened Wednesday. I don't have program notes. This happened on Wednesday. Of course, biggest party night of the year. And so I'm out Ubering most of the night. And I'm, I'm in my neighborhood, South Buffalo. And I am, I'm Ubering home a female passenger. Singular, one female from my favorite watering hole, Doc Sullivan's, in South Buffalo. 
we're almost to her place, and she says to me, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, sure, go ahead, open book. And she goes, do you ever date girls from South Buffalo? And I said, uh, I've never been on a date with a girl from South Buffalo. Why? Did you need a date? She went, no, just curious. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you just you soft toss that out there for me to knock it out of the park. Now, that's the only, like, I never, like, openly just go, like, hit on any of my passengers. If you feed me something like that, you bet your ass I'm going to try to knock it out of the park. She says, no. <laughs> I'm just curious. I gave her three stars for leading me on. Like, what else am I supposed to do? She was hot. What else should I have said? I would have stopped the car at least 50 feet away from her door and been like, you get out here now. This is No, this is where we stop. She was hot, too. Oh, Chris, that's hysterical. <laughs> Folks. Folks. I don't get it. That woman was not. You women get on my goddamn nerves. That woman was not feeling very charitable. To Chris's cause of, you know, finding any kind of companionship in this lifetime. But since we're talking about charity, I got to plug it right here at the intro of the show. Wise Guys Toys for Tots. Wise Guys Pizzeria right here in South Buffalo. Every year they do a Toys for Tots program. Okay. I mean, it's it's essentially, it's a wash. Okay. For those of you out there who are like, oh, my God. No, that's a lot of money. First of all, it's charity. It's Christmas time. Don't be a Grinch. If I can find a way to work on it, so can you, because I'm a pretty miserable human being sometimes. All of the time. For every toy, $10 to $15 value that gets donated, you get a gift certificate for a free pizza. Okay, a free pizza for trying to help out underprivileged youth here in the South Buffalo area. We have a listener, okay? Every year, we run a fantasy football league. And the winner of the league gets $50. That's the prize. Yeah, it puts a little skin in the game. It guarantees people are still trying to play with their lineups right until the end of the season. It keeps some interest in it. Alex Wormall, a listener of ours from England, okay, from the UK, won the league last year. His team, Manchester Schadenfreude, which, honestly, I don't even know what that means, but I love it. <laughs> He won, and when I tried to give him his winnings, his response was, why don't you guys take that money and put it towards the next charitable thing you guys get involved in? So, I mean, first of all, that's, first of all, thank you, Alex. I mean, that's huge of you, and it's going to go a long way towards helping out a bunch of kids for Christmas here in the Buffalo area. So, first of all, thank you, sir. Second of all, guys... The world needs more people like that. I mean, that's selfless as hell. I mean, think about how many uh, crumpets and tea you could buy. Bangers and mash you could buy with $50 U.S. currency right now. Or Headley and Weish. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's a, uh, it was a parody commercial they did in the early 90s on SNL. It was a British toothpaste. So it's like <laughs> Kevin Nealon, Julia Sweeney, <laughs> Chris Farley, and Mike Myers. And it's, they all have bad teeth, and they're trying to sell you Headley and Weish. The Brit and, it and Chris Farley's only line in the whole commercial was was like, "Oh, and it tastes great on a cracker." And he's putting toothpaste on a cracker and eating it. Folks, if if you're interested at all, get down to Wise Guys over here on Seneca Street in South Buffalo. Check out their website www.wiseguysbuffalo.com. We're going to be helping them promote this throughout the holiday season. We're going to be making our own donations, and Alex is going to be making his own donations. I <sighs> 
Thank you. It's just now we have to figure out the logistics of how to get pizza across the ocean. Don't worry. We're going to work on it. If any of you as listeners are out there who maybe you don't think you can get to the South Buffalo area in order to donate, talk to us at Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpileReport716 at gmail.com. Reach out to us. We will help find a way. Okay, we will help find a way to get you guys involved and just it's a gr- it's a great thing to try to do this time of year. It's the friggin' holidays. Chris, with that in mind, we launch into this week's Bills News Update. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Bill's punter Colton Schmidt has been released again. Again! I feel bad because uh, him and myself and Reed went to dinner with Reed's parents on Sunday night after the game. And back in September, Reed and I and Colton also went out after they made the last cuts, and the following day he got released for Bajorquez. So I feel like I kind of have something to do with it. When I hang out with Colton after something like that, then he'll eventually get released. I feel slightly bad. It's you, you're the mush. You're bad luck. You should stop hanging out with the guy. If I'm him, I would mail you some anthrax. Don't, don't actually do that. <laughs> if you're listening out there, Colton, don't actually do it. Folks, Colton Schmidt has once again been released as the punter of the Buffalo Bills. And he's been replaced by veteran punter Matt Darr, formerly of this week's opponent, the Miami Dolphins. The move, I I don't know what to make of it. I mean, if I'm being pragmatic, here's what I'll say. The reason he was released in the first place was because throughout training camp, they wanted somebody who could routinely flip the field. Because just based on what I've seen so far, Chris, from our offense and what I've gotten out of you saw it in the preseason, too. You saw it in the preseason. I mean, he, he was getting competition from Corey Carter. And then Corey Carter tore his, ACL. tore his ACL and he was out. So they, by default, had to go with Colton Schmidt until they found Bohorquez. And with, they immediately went to him. You could tell that Colton Schmidt had just kind of fallen out of favor with this staff from the beginning. But then they brought him back on a necessity when Colton Schmidt got injured. I mean, when uh, Bohorquez got injured. Because they didn't know anybody else. And on short notice, that's really all you can do is go back to – it's like that <laughs> – it's like, Chris, I'm, ima- I'm imagining that you've been in this position a couple times. You, you go on a few dates with a girl. Oh. She's okay. But Which she's not time? Exa- but, she, but she's not exactly, you know, you know, new girlfriend material. She's date material. And then you find another chick who you think is everything you want. You go out with her and then, I don't know, she gets hit by a bus. And now at 2 o'clock in the morning, you decide, you know what? I'm going to call. I'm just going to call and see if uh, that, that, that old chick is still up. Let me just see what she's doing. Eh. You send her the YU. That happens y, all of the, the w, time. The WYD text at 2 o'clock in the morning. Or whatever <laughs> you millennials do now. I don't understand. But I, I don't know. I just feel like as if I'm being pragmatic watching him play on Sunday. He One of the knocks on him has been that his punts haven't been long enough this season. So I think he tried to focus on that over the last few games. And the problem with that is that he simply doesn't have the leg for it. So in doing so, he ruined his hang time. And his hang time resulted in more returnable punts, which the staff isn't a fan of. 
regardless of the number of times you pin them back in their five, Chris. Well, I I didn't get it. I mean, I told you before, before the show. Yeah, I get it. Okay, his punts might have not looked beautiful, but he did pin the Jaguars twice inside the five. I told you, I told you it was like me dating, you know. I don't know how to talk to women, but I can get laid if I work hard at it. It's like the same. It's the same thing. They pinned him inside the five, and then they sent him back to California. Matt Dar better be fucking good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see what we get out of Matt Dar. I mean, he's he punted for a while. He has a little bit of NFL experience. I'm assuming he's got a bigger leg than Colton. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought him in. So let's see what we get out of him. I mean, Jakeem Grant for the Dolphins is out. He's on IR. He's one of the most. He was one of the most dangerous punt returners in the league. I think that also might have something to do with this move. Thinking, okay, we aren't going to give line drive punts to one of the most dangerous returners in the NFL this season. He's got multiple return touchdowns, leads the league in punt return yardage, but now he's on IR and he's not even a factor in this. Ultimately, Colton, goodbye. We'll miss you. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll see you again in two weeks when Matt Dar falls off the team bus and breaks his scapula. Cheers, Colton. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> and with that, we want to launch right into this because I don't want to waste any time. Our Week 12 recap. Let's have some fun with this, folks. Two games in a row. The Buffalo Bills win 24, Jaguars 21. Stats of the game. Blake Bortles, 12-23 for 52%. 127 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and a 46.8 rating. Josh Allen, 8 of 19, 42%, 160 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions, and 89.8 rating. Running back Leonard Fournette, 18 rushes, 95 yards, two touchdowns, a 5.2 yards per carry average with a long rush of 16 yards. And one ejection. Josh Allen. 13 rushes, 99 yards, one touchdown, a 7.6 yards per carry average, a long of 45 yards. Advantage, Allen. Jaguars rushing as a team. First half, 190 total yards, two touchdowns. Second half, 36 yards. Wide receiver production for Jacksonville and the Bills. Jaguars. Eight targets, four receptions, 73 yards, and one touchdown for the wide receiver group. Bills, seven receptions, 137 yards, and one touchdown. And combined penalties, 23 for 170. Chris, I I was going to start this with a rant about the officials and some of the penalties, but after rewatching the game last night, there was a lot of them that we deserved. There's a lot of them. Bodine had both hands underneath somebody's helmet at one point. Like, what, what are you doing? Stop it. That sounds like Russ Bodine to me. Do you remember the the, 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 the uh, round of applause that broke out sarcastically in the stadium? There was a flag on three state uh, on the Bills on three straight Jacksonville Jaguars offensive plays, and on the fourth play, they didn't. The, the Jaguars got four yards, but all the fans started clapping because there was no flags thrown. I'm sorry, I understand that the football might have been sloppy, but the officiating damn near killed this game. I mean, Chris, didn't it just feel like it was just sucking the life out of everybody, or was that just me? No, it was, because the game literally ended at, like, 4.30. Literally ended at, like, 4.30. And I think that's honestly, A, because of the fight, and then, B, the penalties. And there's a penalty that I remember 
it wasn't even like I don't even remember being called on the field. Like I did not see the ref, whoever the fuck it was, get on the mic and say penalty. This team, this was why it's a penalty. I, the so many penalties, irritating, <laughs> irritating. You know what was irritating, folks? The entire day for me. Well, at least most of it. Being there at the stadium, I'm going to level with you. Even with the win and my fantasy football team's going 3-0, and Sunday was just not my day. I mean, things started off well enough. We got to the stadium. Folks, I don't know if you realize, go to our Twitter, at Rockpile Report, and look at the picture I posted. I'm not kidding you. We get to the stadium at 6.45 in the morning. That's like the earliest we've gotten there all season. But we get there before the sun comes up. That's my goal every week. Because this is what I like to do. Tailgating is what I like to do. It's my hobby. So we get there. That We're there early enough that the stadium's all lit up and it's still dark like it's night out. And it's like a, I feel like a little kid looking at a Christmas tree. It just makes me happy. The day starts great. I get off to a solid buzz. We're drinking. We're having a good time with friends. The food is fantastic. Across the board, just a banner day in the making, right? What could possibly go wrong? Well, the answer to that is a lot. Well, I'll tell you right now, because I'm generally the first one in the stadium to begin with, after tailgating, as soon as I jump off your truck, close your goddamn gate, I immediately head in. I don't got to say bye to everybody. (laughs) I'll see them all the following home game. I'll probably do that the last home game. I'm at our seats, and there are two people behind me, probably, because I'm in 16, which is the last of our four, and two seats down, row eight, two people, and I could hear them talking about, oh, the, their friends got uh, tickets in row seven, but they're on the left of me. So they're just like a, a high five reach away from their own friends. So naturally, their friends show up and just sit right in front of them where you and uh, Trimble were sitting. And they were like, oh, yeah, we're to the left of you. We Cool, we sit here. I'm like... I don't care. We'll move two seats down so you can sit in front of your friend. Naturally, they're supposed to be in 201, which that's a whole nother story. If you, I, Potter and I went over this on Sunday of how many people we saw walk up to Tony, our usher, and hand them their ticket, and Tony immediately points across the field. At that point, <laughs> because you can't read friggin' numbers, your ticket should be confiscated. You should be escorted out of the building because if you can't read numbers, you don't understand what's happening on a goddamn football field. So these people are supposed to be sitting in 201, and so they move. And I, Drew is on the far end of me, and I give him this look, and like I go, "Hey." Move down. Like, they're gone. Let's reclaim our seats. This is where my bad day starts, folks, because I'm here. I've got a solid buzz rolling. I'm in a great mood. Everything's good. We're sitting down, and all of a sudden, Chris starts yelling at me. Yeah, I go, move the fuck down. So I look at him. Then he looks at me and goes, didn't you hear me? And I looked at him and in full throat said, no, Chris, I didn't hear you because I don't speak well, you said, I don't speak fucking And you stuck that beautifully. And there's a woman, a family of four, right in front of you, and that woman just whipped her head around. It was like the exorcist, the way her head turned around on her shoulders. First and foremost, you have no business bringing the five- and six-year-old to a football game and sitting in the cheap seats in the first place. They make a family section for a reason. I apologize that I might have gotten a little incensed and maybe just yelled the word 
at the top of my lungs. Okay, but that's what happens. That's the, I'm sorry. I hate to. I hate to say it. But when I'm incensed, that's the type of human being I am. That's how I respond to these things. See, you wanted all. You but want- the worst part is, I'm trying to apologize to this woman now, but she's again like the Exorcist with her head turned around backwards, eyes, eyes making these. I don't. It was a cartoon face, and I couldn't stop laughing. So I'm trying to apologize through my own laughter, which just resulted in me having to move. She she flat out looked at me. Not even five minutes later, as they were coming out onto the field, you know, the people are coming out onto the field. The players are coming out, and I start cheering. And she tells me I'm being too loud, which I'm sure is in retaliation for me yelling the, yelling the word in in front of her children, who are too young to remember it anyway. You want- so I moved. I moved all the way to the right so that I wouldn't be a problem. My day started having to sit in the wrong seat because the wrong people were in the wrong section at the wrong time. Yeah, you wanted the whole section to know that you said the word I did not. It just happened to come out that way. Having said that, then I decide, now I'm frustrated. I can't sit in my own seat because this woman's giving me the hairy eyeball. Nothing is going my way. I decide, you know what? I've had it. I'm going to do the thing I never do. I'm going to go get a beer. I go to the, but the beer I want isn't in the lower concourse, so I have to go outside to the upper concourse. And in the process, as I'm handing the guy my money, I hear, and fireworks start going off and I look at the guy and I hand him my money and he starts laughing. I go, son of a bitch. Something cool happened and I didn't get to see it the one time I buy a beer. Of course, I missed the foster touchdown catch. Why wouldn't I? Fast forward to the third quarter. Fast forward. I decide that I have to go to the bathroom because I didn't go during halftime. Because I was frustrated. I was too busy arguing with people around me in the stands about why we, the bills were tied all of a sudden. And I mean, I'm, I'm literally at the urinal. It, what, what we refer to as the secret bathroom. You know, if anybody knows, it's the bathroom behind the bills store on the second level concourse. It's the cleanest. It's the brightest. There's never any lines. It's almost as if no one knows it exists. So that's the bathroom I go to. I'm at the urinal, and my phone starts to explode in my chest zipper pocket of my Carhartt bib. And I can't get it because I'm in the middle of being. So I handle my business, both literally and figuratively, and I get my phone out after I wash my hands, and I'm walking back to the seats, and I have 10 text messages from three different people. Oh, my God, did you see that fight? Oh, this is crazy. It's right in your end zone. Oh, what did it look like? I wouldn't know. And then, folks, to to throw insult to injury, as I'm leaving the stadium, I decide I'm going to hop the guardrail over one Bills drive that runs by the stadium. You know, the road that the players, the buses take and drop all the players off and a lot of personnel used to park. I decide I'm going to hop the guardrail because some fat drunk guys are just clogging up traffic and I don't want to wait for them. Are you trying to jump the guardrail with athleticism that you don't have? (laughs) It's only two and a half feet tall. I hit this guardrail, folks, with the face of my left shin. Now, I'm wearing a Carhartt bib, a pair of jeans, and thick socks. And I hit the face of my shin on this thing, and it immediately blew my shin wide open. I thought, when I landed, I thought that I had just Alex Smithed myself. That, that's the only thing I could think. I couldn't feel my ankle. I kind of knew I could register the fact that I was bleeding. I couldn't put any weight on it. And I just wanted to go home. And I had the idea in my head, this is it. I'm just going to lay down here and I'm going to die. That was my day, folks. 
I just hope, I just really hope that things went better for you. And obviously, I'm happy that things went better for the Buffalo Bills. Let's get into let's get into some of the action here, Chris. I think we've bored these people. <laughs> oh, please! They love that story. The they probably, worst game of my life. They pro- everyone probably agrees with me that if you walk up to an usher with a ticket and it has a number of the section that you are not currently standing uh, in, you should be immediately escorted out of the building because you won't know what's happening on the field if you can't read fucking numbers. The first thing I want to talk about here is Josh Allen. Okay, it's the big story of the week. Because he was amazing. Josh Allen's return. He comes back to the lineup on Sunday, and I was, I'll admit it, I was impressed. I was impressed by what I saw. Okay, you're going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, which just a week prior had absolutely, just for, for three and a half quarters, had just demonized Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, who have a lot of playmakers. And they have a veteran quarterback who still to this day can sling the football. Okay? I, I mean, I'm assuming if he had a hard time making hay, so would Josh Allen. Especially with the weapons, Chris, that we have. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie and Robert Foster are no Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown. Not even close. The first thing I want to address when it comes to Josh Allen is the box score. You look at 8 of 19 for 160 yards. That's not anything that you'd hear a football fan brag to his friends about. But that number is a little bit skewed when you look at what actually took place on the field. I mean, thank God for the miracles of NFL Game Pass. That I can go back and re-watch these games after all this nonsense that goes on at the stadium. <laughs> Penalties and wide receiver mistakes just really marred this performance, Chris. You're talking about a day where the refs couldn't stop throwing laundry. Three of Allen's completions were called back on penalties, which would have boosted his numbers by 27 yards, giving him a 57% completion percentage and 187 yards passing. Then, there's two blatant failures by the wide receiver to catch the ball that would have tacked on an additional 57 yards to that total. And of, of those five plays I'm talking about, Chris, Four of them came on third downs, which would have resulted in more offensive plays and more opportunities for our offense to churn out yardage. Well, uh, Josh Allen did have 125 yards in the first quarter. I mean, that's that's it. Now, I, folks, you've listened to this long enough. I'm not a Josh Allen apologist by any stretch of the imagination. So you know I wouldn't be bringing any of this up if I didn't think it had some actual merit. The box score doesn't indicate the type of day he had. Then you look at his play on the field. I mean, his composure to make plays when the team needed it. Everybody knows he's got that rocket of an arm, but Sunday I saw what I, I would call real tangible growth from where he was a few weeks ago the last time he got a start. On the first play from scrimmage, the Jaguars rush four. You know, they bring the defensive line, drop the linebackers into the flats to take away his checkdown targets. Allen realizes that there is nobody coming open and that for some reason, because they, just, well, because they decided to go with a three-wide receiver set, somehow Zay Jones is trying to block defensive tackle Calais Campbell. So Josh Allen just gets the fuck out of Dodge. He runs forward. I mean, Chris, Zay Jones is blocking a defensive tackle for you. That's your protection. So he just says, fuck it. He tucks like it in. Like me blocking you. Exactly. He rushes forward for five yards. 
And the thing that I think impressed me about that play, not just his decision-making and, oh, shit, this is a terrible situation. I'm just out of here. Might as well get something out of it. He takes a shot from linebacker Telvin Smith on the tackle and gets up talking shit. Chris, this is the first offensive play of the game. He's already talking smack to the linebackers. That, first of all, I love that. I do like a little bit of that. Now, I... I take a look back at the second quarter. Another play that stands out to me is growth. The Bills attempt a flea flicker, which is always... Chris, has the flea flicker ever worked outside of Madden or NCAA football? Uh, Probably not. I can't remember. I can't think of like a historic or memorable NFL play from any NFL team that was the flea flicker. Well... This one ends with a one-yard run by Josh Allen, which if you're just, again, if you're just looking at the statistical output, no, it's not impressive. But this play could have been an absolute disaster. The Jaguars line Calais Campbell, who is, I mean, look at what he did last season. The guy is a monster. They line him up at defensive end, and he proceeds to pull Deion Dawkins' pants down around his ankles. He just absolutely schools him the way we used to watch Cameron Wake do to Jordan Mills. He comes on this blindside rush behind Allen, who's back in the pocket trying to see what's downfield and what's open because he's just received the the pitch from the flea flicker. This looks like I saw it happening, and I remember just putting both hands on my face because I'm like, oh my God, he's going to die. I'm going to watch my quarterback get murdered in front of me. Rewatching the game... Josh Allen never turns his head to really look. He just instinctively feels the pressure and steps up just just a foot or two out of the way of the outstretched arms of Calais Campbell and decides, to hell with this, I'm getting out of here. And makes a positive play. Instead of a five-yard loss, a a possible fumble, possible death on the field, we have a one-yard gain, Chris. That's pocket awareness from a guy who just a few weeks ago was getting pummeled with sacks for not being able to recognize where pressure was coming from. And then, late in the fourth quarter, guy sets a, his scramble that really set up the team for that uh, lead-extending field goal. The Jaguars bring four. And then they also blitz the linebacker, Miles Jack, and they blitz the cornerback, DJ Hayden, on delayed just delayed blitzes. Completely overwhelming the offensive line. And he's immediately under pressure, all, I mean, out of the gate. There's no time for anyone to come open. Now, you could make an argument that, and I saw someone try to make the argument, that, oh, well, the guy who was, co- the guy Hayden was covering, you could have thrown it to him. You could have, but there's a safety there. So you would have made a three-yard gain through the air. Maybe. Maybe that passes off target and it gets intercepted, and it gets run back for a touchdown because there's no one there to stop it. Either way, that's a poor decision, Chris, because you're thrown to a player who's still covered with pressure coming in your face. So, I, I guess it's fair criticism, but instead, he vacates the, he just vacates the pocket into the space created by the blitzing linebacker, takes what the team is giving to him, and just takes off. And there's nobody who has the proper angle to bring him down. I mean... Chris, what what did you think on that play specifically? What were you th- what was going through your head? Is this his long ass run? Yes. The, okay, when it ended, my thought was just step out of bounds. 
Okay, you finally got caught. We don't need you to get fucking injured again. Just step out of bounds. You don't need to get tackled out of bounds. I don't want you getting injured. You're my future. I, Chris, the, the Jaguars approached Josh Allen with the exact game plan that last week we expected them to. He was under pressure on 48.1% of his dropbacks, according to Pro Football Focus. But the way he responded to that pressure in his face, not just as a runner, I mean, he had almost 100 yards rushing, but also as a passer is the most notable piece to all of this. Chris, with pressure in his face, he still threw 126 yards and a touchdown with zero sacks taken. He took no sacks, even with the blitzes and the different pressure packages they were sending at him. This is a guy who had 21 sacks in just his first handful of games as a professional. I don't, as many times as I've watched that touchdown pass again to Robert Foster, I don't know. I don't have. I have no clue how he got that ball out. He, I have no idea how he got that ball. I mean, out. I know that's the play that impresses everybody, but honestly, I saw more than that. I saw real growth from this guy. He finished the game. Chris is the leading rusher and had the largest percentage of rushing first downs on the team. <laughs> he was the only guy who could provide a spark. Those big plays for a team that literally up until the Jets game hadn't really had any. Think about it. The games we've been in up to this point in the season, going into New York, we had no big plays, no explosion to our offense. Josh Allen comes back. You know, Obviously, Matt Barkley has this game that no one sees coming. Josh Allen comes back, and all of a sudden, there's this explosive, just this explosive quality to his play. I mean, and... For your point on the, and I think probably the thing that most underscores this, listen to what he had to say about his touchdown pass to to Robert Foster. I came off to him. Um, we had Zay on a, you know, basically a curl route about 18 yards down the field. Uh, I felt like the corner kind of jumped it. Robert saw the safety deep, cut in front of his face. Um, you know, I threw. I really didn't even see it get caught. You know, I got hit as soon as I threw it. Um, you know, looking at the replay, he made a heck of a catch and then a heck of a, an effort after the catch to go score. It was awesome for him. Josh Allen from his post-game interview at buffalobills.com. There are a handful of videos that I tweeted out. We'll have him on again during the draft this upcoming offseason. But Matt Waldman over at the was it Rookie Scouting Portfolio did a couple of video breakdowns. We retweeted them. Go watch those if you haven't. They are excellent videos. Of that throw, just breaking it down, the mechanics of it. But hearing him speak, that speaks volumes. A quarterback who was having trouble identifying coverages early on in the season and just wasn't making the right decisions with the ball through the air is now not only finding ways to evade pressure, but he's picking up the nuances of NFL quarterback. He's reading the body language of wide receivers, of defensive backs. He's starting to see plays before they develop. And it's good. If he continues that kind of trend of development, it's going to produce more big plays like that, which is exactly why they drafted him over the other guys who were available. I think in some of the press conferences from uh, Dable McDermott over his injury, is, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing all this film study, taking notes, doing all this, and I, I guess it shows, and it's, it showed on Sunday. It's far from perfect, guys. It is, but it's progress, and progress that should be encouraging to anybody who's a fan of this football team. Now, on the other side of the football, the Bills' defense, I mean, it really was the tale of two halves. The Jaguars' passing attack was, as we all suspected, was <laughs> it was going to be held firmly in check by our coverage units, and they were. 
Bortles was almost totally unable to complete passes to his wide receivers for any kind of meaningful yardage. Half of that 73 yards that he threw to his wide receivers came in the fourth quarter on the final drive, along with the only touchdown when the Bills were in prevent defense. The Bills' defense blanketed the wide receivers and forced a lot of off-target throws to him, a pair of interceptions, and held Jacksonville to under 130 yards passing. I mean, it just made life hell for Blake Bortles all day. And as we discussed with our guests last week, if they were going to make things happen, it was going to have to be on the ground. In the first quarter, our defense took care of business. They forced a pair of punts on the first two Jaguars' possessions and allowed four rushes of five or more yards. And the team was up 14-0. Life was sweet. So you can imagine the horror of everyone in attendance. I mean, just the air had come completely out of the stadium as we watched that our run defense just melt down in the second quarter. They couldn't have been more different. They allowed nine rushes of five yards or more, five of which were 10 or more yards, with Jacksonville using those 128 yards rushing in just the second quarter and two rushing touchdowns. And all of a sudden, the game's tied. And we're going into halftime, just looking at each other going, what the fuck is going on here? What is happening? And the the worst part is it wasn't one specific thing schematically that they did that worked. Everything failed across the board. I mean, in one case, they get us for 43 yards with a wide receiver end around to Westbrook, who gets out in space behind the tight end, and you've just got Teron Johnson, who gets caught up in the wash in man coverage, and Trey White just got too, sucked too far into his coverage on the tight end that he couldn't get out in space to defend the, the, the sweep. Fournette had a pair of runs straight up the middle of the defense. One of them for 16 yards, where Poyer just misses him in the backfield on a run blitz, and none of the linebackers come in behind him to try to clean up the play, and he just gets out into space. Carlos Hyde, TJ Yeldon, each one of them found room to operate in the same space, right up the middle into the heart of our defense where our linebackers had just been clicking in that first quarter. 27 yards on just three carries, Chris. And each one of them was able to get off tackle at least once for more than five yards. All of a sudden, your defense becomes a sieve. Even the most seasoned film analyst would have a hard time watching what I saw out of this team last night as I was re-watching the game to try to find a root cause for it. So you go to the audio and you hear it from Kyle Williams' own mouth. You know, I think, uh, you know, through the first half, it, it, it wasn't a, you know, we talk about, you know, physical issues and being outmatched. It was, you know, a guy being in the wrong place here, you take a wrong step, a guy takes a wrong angle and missed tackles, you know, and really snowballed on us in the first half. We knew they were going to come and try to run the football. Uh, we were prepared. We had the right things called. We just, uh, you know, I think maybe guys may have been trying to do too much, trying to go and get the guy rather than just doing your job. And I think in the second half, we had guys who were really committed to doing their job, uh, playing the run like we knew that we could, and going to win the football game. Kyle Williams, BuffaloBills.com post-game interview. I mean, luckily for, for us, as he said, they found a way to get back to their form. They got back to basics, playing base defense behind a team that realized late in the game that in the second half, they realized we can't throw the ball. There's just no passing with any kind of you know consistency going on here. We better just bear down. We got to play a lot more in the box, and that played to the strengths of our team. People started making the right moves, and we inevitably, 
Chris, I mean, that's the most impressive, I think, impressive effort of circling the wagons on defense I've seen in a while. I mean, this is a team that looked like they were, it was like there were so many holes in the boat. You didn't know anything other than we're all about to fucking drown. And they came out of that locker room at halftime and really did a great job. Although, I don't think it was just the halftime adjustments or conversations that really motivated us putting the putting the hammer down in this game. Oh, yeah, the Leonard Fournette. We have to talk about it, folks. The fight, the results, and the aftermath. The fight. I, th- I feel like that's what it's going to be called, Chris. Yeah, you missed it. If we refer to this as anything for the rest of the season, the fight. Through the miracle of the internet. I, th- th- you almost th- said that correctly. <laughs> it's miracle. It's miracle. Like miracle God. <laughs> Through the miracle of the internet, miracle. I got to I got to watch this and relive it. But damn it, that has to stick out to everyone who saw that football game as a turning point. Understand, for those of you out there who think that I'm being an advocate for barbarism, I'm not. Okay, oh, I don't. You stand for that? Oh, I do absolutely. Just not on. Just not on a football field. I don't think it's a good idea to throw a punch during a football game. Football is a game about controlled violence. It's controlled aggression. There's there's the lines of the field. There's the whistles. That's where you're an aggressive. That's where you're aggressive. That's where you let that out. Once it's over, it's over. This is a job. It's not. I mean, for some players, it does get acrimonious. Jalen Ramsey caused a lot of that. You've seen it. He's gotten. He's gotten. I'm shocked to see that it wasn't him that started this fight. He wasn't him that was involved in it. I mean, there really isn't any place for anyone who wants to escalate what goes on on the football field into an actual physical altercation. It's just not in good taste. I mean, if I'm the one saying that, then that's bad. Okay? I'm also a hockey fan. And sometimes in hockey, you fight. You don't fight over pride. You typically fight because you're either trying to defend a teammate or you're trying to just defend your team. You know, you're sticking up for your guys. And if that comes down to a one-on-one between you and somebody else, so be it. That's what happens. And Shaq Lawson, he found himself in a fight. Is that fair, Chris? Yeah, it's just, look, in the stands, that fight takes place. And referencing a hockey fight is exactly what it was. When you're down two, three goals, and you got a fighter on your team, that coach is going to send that guy out there on a shift to throw some big hits, and if somebody challenges you, you fight them. And you could feel it. You could literally feel it in the stadium. The momentum shifted to our side, and I didn't think we were going to lose that game after that fight happened. Well, the craziest part about this is that it's Leonard Fournette. He's a, first of all, you're a running back. You need your hands. The fuck are you doing throwing close-fisted punches at someone else wearing a helmet? That's just that's just stupid. Second of all, you weren't even on the field. You're not even a part of the play. So you leave the bench. It's undisciplined. It's it's stupid. And then you end up with no helmet on. How do you end up with no helmet on? You're the one who started the fight. And you come after one of the bigger, more athletic guys on our defensive line. And you know what? For whatever happened, I'll say this, Chris. It's like in hockey. The effects of a fight, whether you win or lose, can be huge. Anybody out there listening to this who's ever been in a fist fight in their life, you can attest to this. There's a psychological adrenaline-fueled rush you get from a fight. 
whether it's you, whether it's one of your buddies, whether it's somebody in a cage who's doing it for a you know for money <laughs> or a price fight, you know what I mean? Something like that. You get a rush out of this. There's an there's a feeling you get. It's palpable. I can feel it in the palms of my hands now, just thinking about it. And in hockey, it can swing momentum. It can take a weak team and make them stronger. You can take a losing team and energize them. Maybe make them dig a little bit deeper and find the strength to become a winning team. It happens all the time. When I made it back to the seats, I was furious. Not just that I had missed it, but the fact that somebody would come off the bench and take a shot at one of our guys. And maybe it's just me being a fan is seeing him as one of my, my guys. You know, I take it personally. You're, that's a scumbag move in my eyes. And then I actually saw the fight. And I, I'm not going to lie, I got fired up. Okay? I Just based on the clips I had seen on Twitter on my way back from the bathroom, as I'm walking down the tunnel to the stairs, when the Jaguars finally got lined up to take that next step, the crowd, I mean, the crowd, Chris, the stadium was only two-thirds full. Is yeah. that fair? No, it's completely fair because we're out of the playoffs. Who wants to go to a friggin' no end of November home game. That might be one of the loudest. That might be the loudest I've heard the stadium in a long time. Listen to Micah Hyde explain exactly what the team felt. Huge spark. Um, got the crowd into it. You know, I feel like the crowd won us that game after that. Uh, I don't think that there's anybody on our sideline that, that you know, didn't have goosebumps that wasn't into the game. Um, this is a big moment. Um, you know, they, they made a great play uh, to get down there to the one. Called it a touchdown. We all knew it wasn't a touchdown. And then, uh, obviously, after they reviewed it, came back and just uh, put our foot down and, and was able to get out. You know, obviously, they had some penalties. They scored the one time, but they got the holding penalty, which was, uh, which was big. Um, so this is a big spark of the game and uh, kind of changed the momentum of the game. Micah Hyde at BuffaloBills.com. Post-game interview. Chris, so you go from ca- having a completed pass on the one-yard line. Your star player, by Doug Marone's own admission, remember the audio we played last week? Their quote-unquote best player, yep. Leonard Fournette, just got himself kicked out of the game for God knows what reason. Who knows why he decided to come running off, running off the sideline and pick a fist fight with a guy twice his size. It's not just like running on. He literally ran across because this was in the corner of the end zone on the Bills sideline. So you run across the field to the opposite corner of the end zone from your sideline. And start throwing punches. What an ass. So you do this. You get ejected. Now the crowd's fired up. Yeah, and then they start the, fighting in the tunnel. The players are fired up. You got a, that's it. A Fortnite ejection, a holding call, a sack, and a missed field goal later. The Jaguars from that point forward were dead in the water. That's it. They completely died. Look at the statistics, Chris. The, the bread and butter, the thing that got them back into the football game, completely vanished. The ground statistics post-Fournette ejection. I went back and play-by-play calculated this myself over at ProFootballReference.com. Carlos Hyde, four attempts, one total yard. TJ Yeldon, one rushing attempt, one total yard. Blake Bortles, four runs, 34 total yards, but 14 yards if adjusted for the three sacks that he took. Altogether... Nine rushing attempts after that point for 36 yards. And if we're just breaking it down to running backs, 
They tried to run the ball five times with their backs, got two yards, and had three carries for zero or a loss. I'm Chris, we were fired up. The team was fired up. And that's it. The momentum carried everybody to victory. So while he may not have statistically had a great day, Shaq Lawson gets a game ball from the Rock Pile Report. He is this week's Hero of the Week. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. It's funny because apparently Shaq Lawson did a, he was speaking at a, a high school down in Florida. This when? Week. Well, that's where oh, he's the, bi- the bye week? Well, no, he was speaking there. He was speaking at a high school, to, I guess it would have been either today or yesterday. And he was asked, you know, the, 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 they, they told the kids not to ask about the, don't ask about the fight. That don't means ask. they're going to ask about so the, the fight. So the first kid is asked, the very first question that comes out of a kid's mouth. So what happened with you fighting that guy? And he was actually, he decided to open up a little bit. Shaq Lawson didn't speak to the media after the game. You know, essentially, the team sheltered him from that, which I think is good. The team, st- but he talked to these kids and essentially said, look, you guys, I'm not a bad person. I, I don't believe in violence or hurting other people. But at the same time, I do believe in standing up for what I think is right. And I don't think that some guy coming from across the way trying to hurt people I care about, I can't, I can't stand for that. I can't allow that to happen. I have to intervene. And that's what happened. Chris, I love this. I do. That was a game-changing moment. But I love that mentality. And even more so, I want to give an honorable mention to head coach Sean McDermott. For having blood on his hoodie? Chris, this is the man who put this team together. It's been years since I've seen a Bills team quite like the one we've seen for the last almost two years now. A team that when it goes down doesn't always stay down. A team that if it loses big one week can bounce back the next week like it never happened. A team that when you push them, they push back. This is what our head coach had to say about the altercation after the game. I've got no, I mean, I'll go back and look at it, but at the end of the day, a guy defending his teammate, um, you know, and, and I've sat and already talked with Shaq. Um, but we do things the right way. But when people step up and, and, and challenge us, I don't expect us to back down. Sean McDermott, post-game press conference, buffalobills.com. McDermott has put this thing together. And hearing him speak to the media, <laughs> blood all over the front of his hoodie, but instead of a Rex Ryan-type character, or, you know, someone, someone who you might... I don't know. I don't know how other coaches might have reacted to a situation like this. But here's a man standing up here talking. He's covered in his own some of his own blood, some of the players' blood. He's composed. He's resolute. Speaking in measured tones. It speaks volumes about not only him, but what he's trying to bring here to this football team. Controlled rage. Controlled, controlled violence, Chris. Yeah, take notes. That's it. I, I got to say, I, I love the fact that this is our head coach. And I'm proud of these guys. I'm proud of everything that happened. And then this week's zero of the week obviously goes to Jaguars defensive back Jalen Ramsey. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Coming into this game, I, I honestly couldn't couldn't decide. For those of you who are fans of the Chappelle show... Whether Jalen Ramsey was a punk-ass bitch, a bitch-ass punk, a skig, a skag, or a scalywop. 
All I knew is that after all the checks that his mouth has written for his own ass, he deserves a premier table right up front at Dave Chappelle's annual Haters Ball. Given that, it's great to see him not only talk trash through about our quarterback in the offseason and then have to face him, but then double down on his criticism of the entire sideline. He's out there screaming, you trash, you trash, you trash, at our sideline at halftime when the game is tied. And then go on to lose in one of the most improbable ways possible. <laughs> I think the only thing that's better than that is this r- just awesome interaction post-game in the locker room. What did you think of Josh Allen's performance? Uh, he did enough to get their team to win. Um, like you said, not not a lot of uh, I don't know this. I don't know. I don't really know the stats, but not a. I know he ran the ball really well. He hurt us with his feet. Um, passing, it didn't feel like a lot of opportunities. We got to watch the film and stuff like that. But uh, I think they may have uh, one deep one on us uh, that hurt us for early in the first quarter. Other than that, I mean, it was a, he was he was you know causing damage with his with his feet. Did it change your perception of him at all? You still think he's trash? Uh, I mean, the good thing about you know the world we live in is everybody can have an opinion, um, and um, you know, I, I stick by my opinions usually. Um, yeah, just with his feet, he he did enough for their team to get a win. I mean, that's really what matters at the end of the day. Uh, so it doesn't matter, you know, what I said or anything like that. I'm, and I'm sure that's what he was thinking on this on his side. It, it doesn't matter. People have opinions every day. Uh, they can have opinions, but it's about what you go out there and do. And what he went out there and did for their team was get a win. So I uh, can't really say anything about it. So <laughs> yes, still trash. Uh, that's not what I said. You just heard what I how I just answered so, so, his yeah, question. Yeah, so, next question. His next, running, qu- next question. Did his running the ball? You said you know. Did that? You guys were ready for that, though. You kind of knew. He uh, was I, I thought we were right. ready for it, but uh, he did. I mean, he, he caused damage running the ball. I don't know how many yards. I don't know his stats. Ninety nine. But yeah, that's yeah. a that's a lot of yards for a quarterback. Uh, he's probably the leading rusher, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just him scrambling, uh, extending plays, creating plays for the team is, is something that hurt us today. I think first I'm not answering more about you. Jalen Ramsey, Jaguars.com. <laughs> I don't know this. Ninety nine. He, he ninety nine yards. I'm not answering any more so questions. So still trash. <laughs> I love how that reporter literally wanted him to get get him to say. Yeah, he's still trash. So, usually, I hate it when trash. usually I hate it when the when the media needles a player over something stupid they said or something that happened. But man, that was good. And now he's missing practices. What they're calling a knee injury, but honestly, I just think it's a bruised ego. I, I really do. <laughs> to hell with that guy. And with that, we jump right into our week thirteen preview. From one victory on to hopefully the next. The Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. Place, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami, Florida. The weather, 85 and sunny. Because of course it is. Damn it. (laughs) The line, the Buffalo Bills plus four. Chris, what can can we expect out of crew and coverage? Andrew Catalan and James Lofton. The game's going to be on CBS, so uh, if you live basically... Uh, Northern, PA, Erie, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse. You're going to get the game. South Florida, obviously. And that's where I would think that that would just stop. But no, you fuckers in New England, Boston, Maine, New Hampshire, you get this game at 1 o'clock. Enjoy it. 
And so whenever we're playing a divisional opponent, we always like to get a little outside perspective. One of our favorite guests, and in fact, one of the guests who we get, uh, I think, some of the best and most positive feedback on, is here tonight to help us talk through our matchup with the Miami Dolphins. Travis Wingfield. Soccer-style kicker. Graduated from Collier High, June 1976. Stetson University Honors graduate, class of 1980. Holds two NCAA Division I records, one for most points in a season, one for distance. Former nickname, The Mule. The first and only pro athlete ever to come out of Collier County and won a hell of a model of America. Locked on Dolphins podcast. But this is Miami, pal. Mr. Wingfield, how are we doing this evening? Hang in there, man. How about you guys? Oh, we're good, man. We're, we're riding high off a of Buffalo Bills win. I mean, this is... <laughs> it, when somebody refers to your whole team as trash and you come back to stop that team out and win the game, I don't know. It feels pretty good. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And Jalen Ramsey getting shut up is good for the rest of the league, too. I'm kind of sick of that guy. So good on you guys. And that's two in a row for you now, right? Oh, yeah. Two wins in a row. We're, we win one more. That's three, that's and streak. that's called a winning streak. Best <laughs> movie ever. Major League. And, and I'll tell you, you know what's funny? Jalen Ramsey, now they're talking about how he's missing practice with a knee injury. I don't think it's a knee injury. I think his pride hurts. I think it's that's an ego bruise, yeah, he's for sure. He's some bruises. <laughs> so, Travis, the last time we talked to you was way back in the preseason, and a lot of things have uh, changed since then. First and foremost, you went back to school. That's it. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm a college student, man. Uh, Ryan Reynolds slash Van Wilder at age 31, you know, uh, prancing <laughs> around campus. Should be should be a good time. And I think in some really exciting news, you were just telling us off air, you're actually, you've been granted official press passes. Is that right? Yeah, the Dolphins have a two-game homestand coming up against the Bills and Patriots, and uh, they're doing this new thing this year where they're having some some of the more popular fan sites, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, come down to cover the game, and we got selected. So me and my uh, staff editor is going to go down there and for a couple of weeks and watch a couple of games from the press box, get some locker room access. I really want to go talk to Jordan Phillips, to be honest with you. It's probably the guy I want to talk to more than anybody else, but I don't think I'm allowed to go in the visiting locker room, so I can't do that. <laughs> now, here's a well, – so this press pass, you, you mentioned Walk of Fame ceremony you're going to gonna get to cover. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so they're bringing back some of the Dolphins alumni. Uh, Dick Anderson, I think, is the one that I saw on there. John Offerdahl, uh, the Marks brothers, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, and then Jason Taylor, my personal favorite, just because I grew up watching that guy sack quarterbacks. They're all going to be there, and I'm not really sure how it works yet, but we're supposed to cover the event. So I imagine I get to kind of, you know, kind of do a, a walkthrough and shake all the hands of those guys. Some Dolphins greats, a Super Bowl MVP in that mix, and then obviously a Hall of Famer too, and Jason Taylor. So I'm, I'm pumped, man. It should be a fun weekend. Yeah, it should be a fun re weekend right until we stomp your teal wearing <laughs> asses out. All right? So so in anticipation of Sunday's game, I, I guess I, and it's a question. It's funny because there's been a couple guests we've had on already this season who the first question I ask isn't even about the team. It's about the guy running it. And you're just another one in the line. You know, we had the Jacksonville Jaguars. We had the New York Jets. You're next. Adam Gase, are we talking about a coach on the hot seat yet? I mean, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to, I was going to say when Gase got hired, the guy was viewed as this sharp offensive mind and a a solid evaluator of offensive talent who was meant to unlock the talent of Ryan Tannehill and was going to turn him into the franchise quarterback everyone thought he could be. Three years later, none of that's materialized. 
And the reasons for it aren't 100% his fault, but I feel like the fan base, I feel like there's cracks showing in the foundation of what Gase has been trying to build there. Do you think that's fair? Absolutely. And I think I'm a great example of that too, because I was I was a big proponent of Adam Gase coming into his tenure here. They actually hired him right at a time when my fandom was really being tested because the Joe Philbin year, the 2015, the year he got fired after you guys waxed us and the Jets waxed, waxed us in back-to-back weeks and they fired Philbin. That whole year, just there was a disconnect. There was no direction, not that they've had one previously to that. But then they brought in Adam Gase, who was the hot coordinator name, the guy that was supposed to you know, turn the franchise around, at least the offense around, something the Dolphins haven't had since Dan Marino. And like you said, it hasn't materialized. Ryan Tannehill hasn't really gotten the chance to play that much just because he's been injured the whole time. But even when he does play, he's kind of the same guy. You know, there's some flashes of brilliance, but mostly just kind of a middling quarterback in the mid-range of the league. So he never really came and stepped up to the next level we expected him to. And the offense has ranks 28th, 25th, and 17th in the gazes three years. So you begin to ask yourself, what does he do well? And I actually published a column today up on LockedOnDolphins.com talking about Kenyon Drake's lack of usage because this is a guy that averages a 20-yard gain every 19 touches, and he gets 10 touches a game. So just he continues to use the wrong guys, Frank Gore, Danny Amendola as the focal points. It's just like, what do you do well? And I I don't have many answers for that. Well, and that's fair. I mean, when you're talking about a coach who made his bones being this offensive mind, and yet now you're looking at a team that continues to make questionable offensive decisions in terms of personnel, in terms of usage. I, I guess I have another thing that I point to personally. I mean, I've been banging this drum for a while. I've been saying I think Adam Gase is an overrated head coach. And that that's because I look at this, the idea of culture. When I look at a, a head coach, I mean, nothing, I think it speaks volumes when I think about the Buffalo Bills this past week. You know, there's that big dust up during our game and all the stuff with Shaq Lawson and Leonard Fournette. But when you think back to what the Buffalo Bills had been in the previous four or five seasons, Our team hasn't really had much of a culture. And Sean McDermott got here and said, look, I'm going to, I want to be a tough football team, but I want to be a disciplined football team and I want to be a team that doesn't quit and doesn't just talk about not quitting, actually goes out and does it. And I think to a point, we as, we as Bills fans have seen that. You know, we've seen our team be tough when things are down. We've seen them rally. We've seen them win games they shouldn't have just because they went out there and played better than anyone gave them any credit or gave them any previous credit to think they could. When I look at the Dolphins, it seems like every season, towards the end of the year, the the thing that I hear most from Adam Gase is talking about wants to build toughness and that he hates the fact that he looks at the tape and sees guys quitting and says, hey, I'm going to bring in, quote-unquote, my guys. I need, I'm going to bring in my guys. We're going to get in here and we're going to fix this to build this tough football team. You get rid of a pouncey because you think he's a problem. You get rid of a lot of different players. A, you know, a, uh, a wide receiver there now. I can't think of his name. Landry. Landry. Jarvis Landry because you don't think he jives with your culture. And yet it still doesn't seem to be materializing. And I think it's because he doesn't. he's not that type of guy. He doesn't have it in him to build that. And I think that should be more concerning to Dolphins fans than anything else. What's your take on what the culture of your team is? I think the best way you can really kind of 
compartmentalize all that is with what Danny Amendola said when he first got to Miami. And he almost kind of made it sound like he was coming down here for a vacation for kind of a last hurrah party because he said that Adam Gaze is kind of like one of the guys. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, leaving Bill Belichick in New England is probably a relief for a lot of guys. But isn't the point of all that to get results? And, and that's what they do in New England. They get results every single year. And then you come to Miami and Adam Gaze has this kind of, you know, club med type of atmosphere where it's the players and the coaches are buddies and there's just not really a cohesion in terms of having a singular focus towards winning. So I think that there is a lot of validity to what you say. Some of the players they, they had exit, I don't mind it so much. I mean, basically Jay Cutler cost us and Dominican Sue because that was eleven million bucks they had to kind of find and, and you know look in the couch cushions around the the, the the facility there in Davie to find to pay him. And they had to roll that over from the 2018 cap hit. And so that basically cost them and Dominican Sue. Mike Pouncey was always injured and he wanted to be the highest paid center in the NFL. So that, you know, I can't complain with that too much. The way they teach offensive linemen is another story, though, because we haven't really had a good guard in, since forever. But as far as like Jarvis Landry goes, I mean, that's a guy that's getting phased out in Cleveland right now with the new direction of their offense. So I don't really worry about what he was as a player, especially at $16 million per. That was a bad contract for Landry. But as far as it pertains to the Dolphins, they, they're doing this whole ploy right now. I just saw a beat writer for the Dolphins uh, tweeted out how they have these little messages in their locker talking about overcoming adversity and the man that is, is strongest is the one that overcomes the adversity. And it's just like, dude, those bullshit tactics don't work on professionals. And if you really have to you can, you know, kind of push that agenda, push that motive on these professionals, it's too late in my opinion. So, And I actually wrote that in my column, my preview column, which comes out on Thursday, talking about this game and how this is the test of Adam Gaze's culture building i use air quotes if you can see the video his culture building and trying to get the guys that can overcome adversity because they just lost a huge game that would have put miami in the driver's seat for the sixth seed in the playoffs had they won that game and now they lose they have to come back to a team that isn't as good as the colts let's see how they respond and if they are able to get up to the challenge see now and then that makes me laugh because first of all it's hilarious to hear that they're leaving their players love notes in their lockers in like an yeah. effort to try to, to motivate them Hey, I know what'll motivate my players. Let, let me write them an inspirational note and tuck it into their locker. Every, I'm sorry, that, that's like the office I work in, okay? If you, if you told me that in order to motivate the people who worked around me, I needed to put up a new inspirational poster, one of those motivational, you know, you go to Google and you look at motivational posters and I had to get a new one every single day and hang it up. And that was going to be the thing that got my guys going and got my people working to something close to the best of their ability. I wouldn't look at it as far as, hey, we need to motivate. I'd say, hey, I need to go find new people. You get because, that, because if you're a professional, it should you should just want to be good, not have to be prodded with niceties or catchphrases or any of that other horse shit. I just imagine like Adam Gase like going to Target in the wall art section <laughs> and getting those inspirational quotes <laughs> and just leaving them in people's lockers. Oh, it's, it's even I was funny. picturing the hang in there poster with the kitty cat hanging from the whatever that is. That's in his own. He saves that for his own office. It's on the back <laughs> yeah. of the door so nobody else can see it. <laughs> so with that, I, I want to talk about the unit that he most directly oversees, the offense of the Miami Dolphins. So first of all, for Bills fans who may not pay attention to anything outside of our own team, critical injuries. I mean, they, again, some of the things that have happened to Case during his tenure aren't exactly his fault. This is one of them. For anybody who thought that losing Tannehill last year was the worst thing in the world for the Miami Dolphins, just look at 2018. 
First of all, Jarvis Landry, we mentioned him. He's traded to Cleveland. They go out and they spend money on the on the wide receiver position. Danny Amendola, he's been had hamstring injuries throughout the course of the season. He's been up, he's been down. Free agent acquisition, Albert Wilson, who is actually starting to flash a little bit. He's on IR. Up-and-coming prospect and the league's most dangerous punt returner right now, Jakeem Grant. On and, he's already on IR. Former first-round pick, Devontae Parker. He's had finger injuries, shoulder injuries, effort questions. It's just been a wash. And then on the offensive line, first of all, they come into the season. They signed Josh Sitton to replace Pouncey as their center this season. He's on IR before week two. His backup, Dan Kilgore, is currently on IR. And last week's starter, Travis Swanson, had to be removed from the game with an ankle injury, and he's questionable. What is happening to you guys over here, and how does your offense try to patchwork things together to keep everything moving? You know, it's funny because when Mike Tannenbaum came into Miami, and I forget what year it was, probably back in like 2012, 2013, he got to Miami and he instituted the sports science program that was supposed to elevate all these injury problems or, or just the way that professional athletes took care of their bodies. And you mentioned the list of injuries. It's been crazy this year. We played a game against the Packers where both tackles were hurt. The quarterback was out. Two receivers were down. I mean, I've never seen a team that had to fight through so many injuries like you mentioned. And the offensive line was supposed to be fixed by Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore. That didn't work out within the first month of the year. Both those guys go out. Albert Wilson was just on a tear when he went out. He was killing people after the catch. And the play he actually got hurt on was about to be another long touchdown catch, but he tripped and ended up, you know, tearing the hip off the bone or whatever that was. Cool. So that sounds like fun. Yeah. But yeah, and then you mentioned the quarterback position. I mean, Brock Osweiler, his first two games were okay. And then the more you see Brock, the more you actually see who Brock is. So they really were basically lifeless the last three games that Brock played. And I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, even on defensive side of the ball this year, we had Cam Wake out for two games. We had Bobby McCain out for two games. We've had Vincent Taylor's out for the year. William Hayes is out for the year. It just continues and continues and continues. And I mean, the good teams, every team has injuries. You go back to the to the Eagles last year; they were banged up like crazy. They still won a Super Bowl. But the teams that aren't great, like the teams like Miami that we we're hoping could win nine, maybe ten games. If you take on a bunch of injuries, you go from a 9-10 win team, all of a sudden you're a 5-6 win team. That's kind of where they are. So I guess it's been impressive. They find ways to win games. But at the end of the day, it's like your program isn't good enough to take on these injuries. So that's an indictment of itself too. Well, and so with that, you know, I'm, I'm one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I, you know, I just read it today as we were getting everything set up, wide receiver Isaiah Ford. Now, with the wide receiver injuries, you guys have called him up from the practice squad. Isaiah Ford is a guy who flashed a little bit in the preseason. You guys stashed him on your practice squad. You've called him up for a game. Most of the time, I would laugh at, I, you know, people listening to this are probably like, well, why do they give a shit about some guy we've never heard of like Isaiah Ford? Well, I can guarantee you that before the Jets game, there was a bunch of people laughing saying, who the fuck is Robert Foster and why should we give a damn? And now they know who Robert Foster is. So Isaiah Ford, what is he? What does he bring to the table? I, that's a good question. I don't really know that much because his his rookie year, he was a seventh-round draft pick. He tore his ACL in training camp, so he missed his entire rookie year. This year he comes back, and he looked pretty good. 
in the preseason, he's probably more of a slot receiver, a Danny Amendola replacement, and that's who is probably not going to play on Sunday, Amendola. So Ford figures to kind of come up and take his spot. But they signed Bryce Butler last week, and he played, and Leontay Carew got called up and played over Isaiah Ford. So you just wonder how much confidence there actually is there in Isaiah Ford. But he's he's a guy that's he kind of gets by on route running. He's kind of a crafty route runner, doesn't blow you away with his size or his speed. He catches pretty much everything. A lot of Virginia Tech fans liked him when he was there in college. I just I haven't really seen enough of him to give you a full report just because it's been all games in August, nothing so far in the regular season. But I guess we'll find out. I, I think that the Dolphins would be, would be better suited to just go with more 12 and 13 personnel packages and take receivers off the field because you mentioned Devontae Parker always injured, and, and that's that's something we've dealt with for four years with him now. Uh, Danny Amendola is going to be out. Kenny Stills has 20 catches this year. Like That's crazy to me. So, I mean, just go more tight ends, more running game. And Tannehill's better in 12 personnel packages anyway. So less receivers, more tight ends. Well, and so then you're talking about less receivers, more tight ends. You're talking about lining up in what should be base offenses built on running the ball. In the run-up to the podcast, I'm looking over statistics, and I noticed that you have the Frank Gore, who is a just a miracle in and Ageless of himself. Ageless wonder. I mean, the guy is incredible that at this age he's still churning out. He's still a productive guy. And then Kenyon Drake's an explosive athlete at running back. You guys are still somehow 30th in rushing first downs per game. Is that a schematic thing or is that, I mean, are you guys just refusing to rush for first downs or are you usually looking at third and long situations that kind of preclude using your running backs like that? Well, they did run the ball three times on third and 10 on Sunday, which is probably where a lot of the vitriol comes from for Adam Gaze this week, just kind of punting on drives on third down. But it's been a lack of plays is probably the biggest part. I mean, in today's NFL, it's so easy to go between the 20s and the Dolphins haven't really figured that out yet, even though, I mean, they just they don't score in the red zone. They don't get to the red zone. They don't stay on the field. They go three and out. They punt a lot. So lack of plays is probably a big part of that. Uh, you know, Frank Gore is great for getting you four to five yards, which is kind of crazy to say because he was an under four yards per carry guy the last three years of his career in Indianapolis. Now he averages four and a half per carry, but he's usually kind of going to get you just four to five yards, not usually much more than that. Whereas Kenyon Drake is the big play guy. And I contend that they should put more, you know, put more on Kenyon Drake's plate because when they were a middle of the road offense back in 2016, they did it because of the big play, and that's what Kenyon Drake offers you is the big play, whether it's a receiver or a running back. And Frank Gore, like you guys mentioned, you know he's awesome. I, I love watching him play, but he's limited. He's not going to break a bunch of tackles and get into the secondary and make the big play. So it, it's, you know, Gaze trust these veterans, Amendola, Frank Gore. It's just bad news, and those are the guys that really kind of carry your offense. Well, the reason I ask about your running backs is because this is what I see. I see the Buffalo Bills on defense. You've got some top-end talent in terms of coverage ability. We've got a decent array of defensive line talent. We allow an NFL low 9.4 yards per completion. So run after the catch doesn't happen very often. And at the same time, we're ranked 12th in the NFL in sack percentage per passing attempt. To me, on paper, based on what you guys are trotting out there on Sunday, that seems to stack up well against what you guys have fielded as far as playmaking ability goes. So... How do you foresee that you, your offense trying to attack a team built like this? I think the two guys that have to kind of put the rabbit hat on, so to speak, and I assume he starts, I th- that's what my assumption is, is Levi Wallace, the undrafted rookie who got his, was his first action on Sunday? He, no, that was his third game. Oh, no, 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 no. Sunday was his second game. He started okay. in the Jets game. 
So he's green, but I just you look at the secondary of the Bills, and that's what really worries me in this game because Tannehill's biggest struggles, and the reason he always struggles against the Bills, is because of their ability to kind of mix, mix and match with zone and man concepts. And I think that the way they can kind of bait him into some bad throws will create the turnovers, like you mentioned. I think that the offense is going to struggle in that way. But if they are going to find success, yeah, they're going to have to run the ball. That's absolutely true. And they'll probably do it a lot on first down. But they're also going to have to try to go after Levi Wallace in the passing game and Tremaine Edmonds as well, who, you know, he's a good pass rusher, has a lot of high-end potential. But I think where they could get the Bills in the passing game to the running backs and tight ends would be against Tremaine Edmonds. So trying to find matchups against Edmonds and Wallace would be my top two picks. Now, speaking of defense, you know, you, you, you've spoken of us in some very glowing terms, and I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative. <laughs> and it's not often people give us much credit for anything. Your defense, your defense, it's kind of Jekyll and Hyde, if I can even call it that. I mean, to say things have not gone well would be a gross understatement for the 2018 Miami Dolphins. I just You're 29th in yards per game allowed, 22nd in points allowed, 28th in fourth quarter points allowed, and 31st in yards per completion allowed. So I, I guess I'm looking at this on paper. I look at Spotrack just to see how your salary cap is set up and uh, you know where you guys are allocating your money to. It seems like the defense is built somewhat lopsided. You've got three of the top five t- salaries on the entire team coming on your defensive line, but those players have just combined for eight sacks and 11 tackles for a loss. Then I look at the the linebacking core, and outside of Kiko Alonso, it's all rookies. So <laughs> what do you think, and I think your slot receiver, Mika Fitzpatrick, a guy I'm, as a Bama fan. Slot corner. He's a, he's a slot corner. The middle of the field is being patrolled primarily by rookie players with all this money up front, in the de- underperforming money up front on the defensive line. What do you think is attributed to the struggles of your defense this year? It's funny you mentioned the rookies because Minka Fitzpatrick and Jerome Baker have been two of the best players on the defense all year long, and the bad contracts of the veterans have been the guys that have really been killing Miami. Now, Andre Branch is, you know, they, they constructed this defensive line with the idea they'd be eight deep, they could rotate, stay fresh, and play with a lead, which is crazy to think about when you consider how bad the offense has been. But they want to play with the lead and rush the passer in that wide nine scheme, which is you know, vulnerable to the running game. And that has shown up time and time again this year, even when they had a Dominican Sue last year. But you talk about Robert Quinn. I mean, he's been close a lot, but he hasn't really finished to get the sacks. So his production hasn't lived up to the 12 million bucks that he makes. Andre Branch signed a not $27 million contract for three years, two years ago. They could cut him and get out of that deal, which they will at the end of the year. You mentioned Kiko Alonso. You know, he makes a lot of plays on the box score. He makes a lot of tackles, has a few picks. And fans look at that and think he's awesome, but he's probably one of the worst linebackers in the NFL. He he miskeys everything. He is slow. He takes poor angles. He's awful in coverage, and yet they rely on him to do so much in this defense, and he kills them every single week. Now you go back into the secondary, and that's the best part of the defense in general. Xavier Howard is already a top five cornerback in the league. He is fucking awesome. Now, Minka Fitzpatrick, he plays a little bit of everything. He plays outside corner, he plays slot corner, he plays safety, just like he did at Alabama, and he's been terrific in that role. Had a rough time against T.Y. Hilton last week, but before that, he was the lowest completion percentage uh, against amongst all rookie cornerbacks in the NFL, so he's been dynamic. And then Rashad Jones is kind of starting to slide back a little bit. I don't know if it's because he's been on a shoulder injury for about three years now. And then another one of the veterans with a terrible contract, T.J. McDonald, has been 
not good to be to put it nicely. So there are just contracts, like you mentioned, inflated contracts, underperforming all over the defense. And then you add all that in to Matt Burke's complex scheme where there are communication breakdowns every single Sunday. And I'll refer back to my preview column, which comes out on Thursday, LockedOnDolphins.com, shameless plug. And (laughs) I I said that if Matt Burke's defense, and no offense to you guys, if Matt Burke's defense can't handle what Brian Dayball is doing in Buffalo, which is, you know, and I'm sure you guys see this too, it's about as simple as it gets. Lots of play action looks, some variety in the running game, lots of boot concepts and two-man route combinations. If they can't figure out that offense in their own building, I wouldn't even bring it back the next Sunday. So, I, you know, I just – there's a lot of issues on this defense. I'll tell you, I'm surprised that your defensive coordinator is still around. I remember yeah, watching the – was it Thursday night football game against oh Houston God. where he actually – now, everybody who's listening to this, you, you know you've watched the Thursday night football and you see the sideline ta- – or any football game, and you see the side – the tablets, the Microsoft Surface tablets that these, uh, these athletes – they get, the players, the coaches, whatever – Matt Burke was so mad that he was being shredded by uh, DeAndre Hopkins and the offense. I mean, he was giving up 70-yard touchdown passes. He was giving up 70-yard runs. He took his tablet and spiked it so hard that it shot underneath one of the water carts. And some, like, 19-year-old assistant had to go fish it out from under there and then try to bring it back to him. Can you imagine what an idiot you look like when you throw a tablet and then someone has to try to put it back in your hand and you have to stand there empty-handed pretending you didn't just lose that? Trust they me, as a guy who's a, who has – I have a temper. <laughs> I've thrown a lot of things I shouldn't have, and I know that feeling when you're standing there and your hands are empty and you know you should be holding something, even if it's just to make it look like you're busy and you have nothing. You just look <laughs> like a boob. They, they should have fired him at halftime and sent him an invoice for the to make up for that broken tablet. <laughs> so when I think about games like that, and then I watch games like you played against the Jets, where you, you I mean, neither team could really do anything right, oh. but you guys ended up coming out on the right side of it. A lot of it was keyed by turnover. Your victories have been keyed by turnovers in the defense and you know solid defensive play. Your losses have seemed to come when the defense does what it did against New England and against Houston. And you just, or even I could argue the Colts are the closest you guys have come, but you still gave up some plays that you scratch your head and go, why? How is this happening? So when I see this, I think, you know what? If we can play within ourselves, we might have a chance. For a team like us, dynamic but struggling group of running backs and a passing attack that hasn't really found any consistency throughout the season. I mean, we're st- I don't think we're on pace still. To have the worst offense ever, I think that game in New York really kind of helped that out. <laughs> but by the same token, we're nothing special. I'm not shocked we're still 32nd in passing and passing touchdowns in most major metrics. If Based on what you have on defense, if you were in our position, how would you attack the Miami Dolphins considering you watch them every week? You know, it's cliche to say, but you mentioned it right off the top there about the takeaways because the takeaways have been the saving grace for this defense. They're second in the NFL behind the Bears in interceptions. They have several fumble recoveries. They blocked, they've blocked punts in the last two games now. That game on Sunday, they had technically four takeaways, a fumble, two picks, and they blocked a punt, which to me is a turnover, and they still gave up 27 points. So if they don't get takeaways, they get gashed. And so if the Bills can just protect the ball – And once again, going back to the preview column, talking about Josh Allen, if he can extend plays on third down and just extend drives enough to where they stay on the field, the Bills, if they can do that, if the Dolphins can't get him to the ground on third down when there's nothing open in the pass route and the pass patterns, 
the Bills are going to win that game because they that's safe from turnovers, and two, it keeps drives going and keeps the offense on the field. So if they do that, they'll beat Miami. Now, as far as where you can attack them, it's like you mentioned, all in the middle of the defense. Try that power running scheme. Try to get Kiko Alonso to have to take on blocks. Try to attack the linebackers and safeties and coverage. I'm sure – I think Charles Clay was a limited participant in practice I saw yeah. on Wednesday. And I'm sure he'll come to Miami and have his, you know, annual three touchdown <laughs> game that he has down here. So I just attack the linebackers is the best way to go after this defense. Now, is that because of the youth or is that just because Kiko Alonso is out there somewhere? <laughs> well, uh, you know, a, a little bit of all that because Raekwon McMillan, you know, he he's really good coming forward. He's kind of and I talked to Kevin Massari yesterday on the Lockdown Bills podcast about how he kind of compares Similarly to Reggie Ragland, like you guys had a couple years ago, you know, misses his first year, comes back, and he's really a B-gap to B-gap defender, and he does well in that way. But they don't always bring Jerome Baker onto the field in nickel packages, which is cr- absolutely crazy to me because he's the best linebacker of the three and especially the best linebacker in coverage. And Raekwon just gets picked on all game long. The Colts had three touchdowns from tight ends on Sunday going after Raekwon and Kiko respectively. So, I mean, that, that's your ticket right there. So your prediction, sir, for what's going to happen on Sunday, give it to me. Uh, so I gave you all that confidence, and I built you all up for that, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it down now because I do think the Dolphins will get the takeaway. They've done it all year long. I don't see any reason to think they'll stop doing that against an offense that is pretty bland and, and struggles to get anything going. Offensively, I think the Dolphins will give the ball away, but our special teams have been really good this year. We're a good team at home. I think it will stay close going into the fourth quarter, but the Dolphins pull away late. I'll say 23-10 to 10 Miami. Now, it's funny you say pull away late considering you're 28th in the league in fourth quarter points scored. So, have you, have you seen the, did you see the Bengals and Colts fourth quarter performances the Dolphins put out there? I have, I have. Don't, don't, don't get your panties in a twist there, sir. I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying that, the like, numbers. On the, on the road, it's, it's really bad, but at home, it hasn't been that way. All right. Well, you better hope so because here's what I foresee a game a lot like what we just played against Jacksonville. Jacksonville, I think, in my opinion, was the most athletic, physical defense we're going to play for weeks. I, I, I just, I firmly believe that. I don't think you have a Calais Campbell. I don't think that you guys have a Yannick Ngalkwe. I don't think the, I think you guys, you have guys who are supposed to be those players. But I, I think particularly the defensive tackle spot, I don't, there's no one in that position for you guys that scares me. And knowing that, and knowing that we kept uh, that we kept Calais Campbell and that defense from a getting a sack, b whenever you guys did, so here's the thing when you look at what the Jaguars tried to do to us they tried to take away a lot of the flat stuff they tried to take away hey let's blitz a lot let's send a ton of pressure take away the checkdowns force the rookie quarterback to make mistakes he proved he's not afraid to take off and when he does you can't stop him. You know, nine yards a carry. He has a 45-yard run. Those are game-changing plays. And at the time when they were happening, I groused about them. But in a game like this against a defense like yours, I think they'll be there if you guys overcommit to trying to take away the other weapons. I think for that reason alone, the Buffalo Bills find a way to win this game. They come back late in the fourth quarter. I do think we'll be down. I think we'll be down early. I think that the defense forces some turnovers. I think our kicking finally gets going. Something I've been railing about all year. We kick a handful of field goals and maybe a single touchdown. I see this being, ooh, I don't know. You're talking 10, 13, 16, 19. (laughs) I'm going to call this game 19 to 17. How sad is that in today's NFL? (laughs) 
That's very sad. Although I can I can never in good conscience pick Miami to beat Buffalo, even if like this was seventy two Dolphins undefeated. And they were amazing. <laughs> the team, in the NFL. I could still never pick the Dolphins to beat the Bills. I'm going Bills twenty four to twenty. Understandable. Hey Drew, I got I need to make a bet with you here because you said something in that last uh, monologue there, talking about how we don't have a Yannick and Gawkway, but Cam Wake is still elite, and I bet you anything right now Seagrams. he'll get one. He'll get one on Jordan Mills. Okay. Seagrams. I will take your I'll take your bet, sir. To Seagrams. Seagrams bet. There we go. Loser has oh. to be, loser, it's a periscope video, it's a chug, and it's an admission of incorrectitude, as I'll refer to it. I'll do mine on the beach in Miami if I have to do it, so we'll, I'll be happy as a clam to do it. Perfect. Fantastic. Where can we find you on Twitter and what do you got over going on at lockedondolphins.com? My last name, at Wingful NFL, LockedOnDolphins.com, writing up there pretty much every single day, and then, of course, the Locked On Dolphins podcast. At Wingfield NFL on Twitter, one of my favorite guests that we have on the show, and congratulations to him for getting to go to Miami and hang out in the press box. Good for him. Oh, it's going to be an incredible experience for him. I mean, I got to sit in a press box once, and honestly, it was it was a learning experience. I hope he takes, as someone who's trying to work in the business, I hope he takes a lot away from this. It, it should be an incredible experience for him, and we're happy. It's probably the only thing I've ever been happy for a Dolphins fan about ever. <laughs> oh, and uh, we'll have it in the description of the, of the show, but uh, if you want to donate to my buddy uh, Richie Delato from elementary school, his, uh, his daughter's uh, had a brain tumor removed, and uh, there's a GoFundMe page set up. I know some of you have donated a little bit of money, so I, I, I thank you for that. And, dude, dude I, let me tell you this excellent story I have on, on my friend Richie Delato. It was either we were at our friend Stag at, in, uh, in, in Hamburg. It was me, Richie, and then my other best friend, Adam, from elementary school. And I don't know how we got on the topic either – because Richie's been married for a little bit. I either was about to get married or had just gotten married. And we were talking about wedding bands and, like, what to get as a wedding band. And he took his off, and he's like, oh, my, man, dude, mine's white gold. This thing is durable as hell. He took his wedding ring off and threw it on the ground, and it shattered into, like, four pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my friend Adam just, like, look at each other. Just start laughing, and he like looks at us. He's like, "Don't tell Kara." Don't tell Kara. I've never met your wife, so hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. Kara, if you're out there, we're sorry. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much for supporting some of the causes we believe in. It's it's really important to us. I mean, we love this football team, and we love you guys. And I don't know. There's just some things I feel strongly about. His friend, uh, the toys for tots. I mean, these are all just things that we get involved in. I, I don't. Like I said, we don't advertise. We we don't try to make money from the show. We just do it because it's something we do because we care about it. This is my own mania. This is my mania manifested in audio form. So if we can use it to help a couple people out there, I I'd like to try. That's all I can do, guys. What a week! Hopefully, what a week we're about to enter. It's going to be a great game on Sunday. It's going to be hard with all the snow here in Buffalo watching the game in Miami. That's going to be tough. But otherwise, hopefully we can pull through this. Chris, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you for stopping by the Rock Pal Report.